I don't know about that one, Tim. I'm going to have to to criticize the the choice of the metal object going in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Did you have the phone on and you you did it in like underwater? Yeah, I, was probably, too? I think I was making a call at the time. As a matter of fact, you know? <laughs> I guess I was super paranoid. I like I ground I ground So hey everybody, welcome to episode one fifty three of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. So we have a couple of follow up items related to uh, last week's show. Where we were talking about one password seeming eagerness to move people to subscription based service, and you know, for for myself, you know, I'm a, I paid for the iOS app initially, and I paid for that Mac app, and I've been using one password for a long, long time and i love it i tell everybody to use it and i think everybody should use it all the time and and uh there are even other i've written tutorials for uh, raywinderlick.com on, on integrating one password into your ios apps and and uh, that protocol i guess that you use to uh, create connection to one password in your app can also be used by other apps uh, of of that type but um in i guess sort of not really much in uh, and the gist of last week's episode was that there were some people saying that uh, the push towards online storage of the passwords, like in a membership account with one password, uh, was sort of seen as a sort of forced issue. And there were some security concerns about storing everything up in the cloud as opposed to storing it on your Mac or your phone. And But as Jaime pointed out last week, you drop your phone or your Mac into the lake, then you've lost all your, you lost your vault essentially, right? So if you haven't backed it up. And so uh, Dave, who's one of the uh, founders over at, at Agile Bits, he um, uh, blogs about sort of things coming up in, in, in their work. And one of the things he talked Talked about in this latest blog post from the 13th, which was literally after a day after we published, I think, why we love one password memberships. And he explained that from their perspective, it's it's not so much we were kind of you know postulating whether it's about you know getting more money or whatever, but he sort of said that, and it makes sense that um, it's hard to explain to a customer when they've lost access to their stuff. They've lost their they lose their phone, for instance, they drop it in the lake, and it's hard for one password to explain to them, well, that's where the vault is, and therefore that's where you're data is. And the idea behind 1Password is, or the 1Password membership is that they will then store that data in their cloud or in their servers. And then so if you move to another machine or you buy a new phone or what have you, you still have access to that um, your data in that 1Password membership account. Another point about that was if you lose your main password, that was another uh, point of failure for them. And they in trying to explain to people, well, they don't know your main password. So if you lose it, you're, you're kind of done, right? You lose all the data you have stored in your vault. And one of the things they're doing with the online membership is is there is a way to go and, and you know, unlock your stuff or reset your password, your main password, and that kind of stuff. Um, and another sort of advantage of this um, one password membership thing is that, you know, like I said, I mentioned I bought, I had to pay separately for the iOS device and had to pay separately for the Mac client. And if I had Windows, w- apparently Windows um, uh, setup for one password is quite different. Uh, there's a difference between six and, or six and seven. There's there's a new version coming, uh, uh, 1Password 7. But the, the advantage of having the membership is that that one membership will give you access to all of the 1Passwords across the various platforms, if I read this correctly. So that's another advantage rather than, you know, having to, as I did in the past, having to buy separate, separate licenses to be able to use it across at least iOS and macOS, right? It is interesting that their own blog post pointed out the thing that I'd mentioned about the availability side uh, as being sort of an right, underrated right. part of security. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they would, they would sort of bring that forth. Yeah, they've actually pushed out a new update today, and I haven't really looked into it too much. This, and that's the other link that, uh, that I put on the on the notes here about um, uh, the, the lead of this one is that uh, if you have a one-time password, it's automatically copied to the clipboard if you're using one password, which I guess uh, I haven't really sort of dug into this one too much. But one of the things I noticed in the in the update notes in from the Mac App Store is that they're adding the ability with memberships to have vaults now. So I think they've probably... Uh, Maybe they're rethinking how, because um, the idea was, you know, when I looked at the upgrade process for moving from um, a local vault to a, um, an online vault, it meant that I would have to, you know, sign up for the membership and I would have to go, you know, set up a vault on the membership. Then I would have to go back to my device and delete my vault or it was somehow it would get copied over to the online account. That I have to, But I'd have to get rid of the vault on my local machine, which like really freaks me out, right? <laughs> As you can imagine. Um, but I guess the idea was that, you know, 
know, the vault is now going to be in, in their, their servers as opposed to in our, uh, Dropbox, where, which is where mine is and, um, or iCloud, which some other, other people use. Right. Um, so, but I think that now in, like I said, in the release notes, it says that they're now going to have, um, the ability to have local vaults again with memberships. Right. So I think they're covering off both, both sides there. I mean, yeah. And as, as far as the vault things go, I think I'd signed up before they had the online membership stuff. So right. I have a like primary vault that I'm looking at it right now. It has nothing in it because I migrated everything out of that primary vault into my oh, okay. personal vault. So if you're kind of paranoid about that, you could, uh, they also have like copy over, I think, where you don't necessarily have to move, which is like copy and delete. So maybe that might be a, a thing that's useful for you if you want to sort of worry about that. Yeah. And then one other issue that I was worried about was the fact that, you know, when I was talking about it at the office, I don't have access to cloud services. We're not allowed to, you know, connect our machines up for loss prevention reasons. We're not allowed to collect our machines to the cloud and, and, um, or the public clouds. And, um, so in that case, I, you know, my local vault is how I live, but, uh, but I just found out that, you know, we're, we're, as we move more towards, uh, um, one password as a, as, as an app is not going to be able to installed on our, our devices anyway at work. Right. So which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a, that's a tricky one, right? Like the operational security, you know, at your particular company would, you know, they worry about that sort of stuff because you, sure they, yeah. they want to lock everything down to reduce risk. So I, I get it. And that's sort of a challenging environment for these sorts of things. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, we'd have to, I mean, it had to, it would have to be vetted thoroughly to, to be able to be used in the system. And that's, that's the whole thing is that we're, we're actually going through process right now to do that. So. Right. Right. It has to be like an enterprise standard and then you hook into that system rather than sort of like bring your own device sort of mentality. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of our PCs are, are, they're all managed by the, you know, the active directory sort of world. And, you know, you get, you have whatever versions of software you have on them is what you, what comes with. And if they decide in the middle of the night that, you know, you're going to get an update tomorrow, you get an update, right? So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's like some scary worm or something that's out there and they have a patch ready to roll, um, they don't want to wait for it. Well, it's kind of less convenient. It's like, well, you know, company security comes first. So yeah. Yeah. Right? Data security comes first. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, that's uh, my follow up on one password uh, from Agile Bits. Still love it. I'll probably, you know, and as I read, so here's the thing, I guess the, the TLDR is after reading uh, Dave's blog post, um, I'm seriously considering signing up for a membership myself because, I mean, I like the idea that, you know, they're, that, that the, the data is not just living in my backups of my machines. And because, you know, lately my time machine has, de- has decided to die because the hard drive in it died. And, you know, I don't want to spend $500 on a time machine that I'm like, that's going to be, you know, it's already, already at end of life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so I'm trying to find other ways to do backups myself, you know, uh, add it in because it's not my only backup, but it's one of my main backups was Time Machine, right? So now I can't rely on Time Machine to back up my one password vault either, right? So, right, right. Does Time Machine support SSDs? Do you guys know? Uh, yes, it does. Um, like external ones? Yeah. No, internal. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. So, so that's something that we actually use at work where we have a, a Time Machine backup that you can plug in and run just about any time you want. Mm-hmm. So if you drop your machine in the river, so it's probably more important for the remote folks, such as myself, where it'd be rather inconvenient to send something all the way to Portland um, or wait until the next time I'm in Portland. It's sort of like, well, if we can get you a, a new machine out there, then you can sort of restore from that. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you need to like wipe your current machine because something's gone horribly wrong and you want to sort of go back to a fresh state. Yeah. So so time machine with SSDs is something that's likely to be around for a reasonable amount of time. Might not be so bad to make the investment if you're looking for a solution. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, it's got the USB port on the back, so I can I think I can plug a drive into it and use that as the main drive. But I also have the Drobo connected to my server, so um, a little Mac Mini server. So I, I set that up. I've turned enabled, re-enabled the, the time machine on that one, so I can uh, at least back my main machines up, right? So oh, oh so you're talking about one of the actual time machine hardware units, as opposed to just yeah, yeah, just yeah. The no, my, my time, time capsule, my time, sorry, capsule. My time uh, capsule, okay, okay. the hard drive, the, the two gig hard drive in it has bit the dust, right? So gotcha, gotcha. Sudden, yeah. yeah. I mean, it had signs of it. It kept kept saying it couldn't back up, it couldn't back up, couldn't. And, wanted me to start a new backup all the time and then I guess now it's just got a red light and it's blinking and it's not happy. And the, and the process to pull it apart and put a new drive in is, is it's not it's not for the faint of heart, right? So yeah. it can be done. But so do you use it for the network still or, or uh, is it only for the backup? Yeah, it's my main access point right now. I see. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, but it's kind of useless. I mean, the reason I, you know, I just updated my Bell service and they brought me in a new fancy you know, uh, highfalutin 5 gigahertz um, uh, modem with, you know, with proper Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't really need the time capsule to 
get onto the net, but I was using it for backup. Yeah, I mean, depending on how much storage you need, just get on to, I don't know what the local equivalent of fries is, yeah, uh, fries, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, they have fries in, in Toronto? No, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding. We have we have fries with our with our hamburgers. Yeah, yeah that's but, a no. part of poutine. Yeah, I get, I know that. But um, you know, fries, for anyone who isn't from the Bay Area, is a uh, electronics and pretty much anything else you might want to. Superstore. Uh, yeah, in these giant warehouses. So that's the place to go if you need you know, a hard drive or something. You can get them pretty cheap there. Uh, so you can get a terabyte drive, an ex- external drive now, uh, for like, I don't know, like 100 bucks, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you could just get some of those, you know, just regular disk drives. Or you can just get some SSDs. They're probably, I'm not sure how much a terabyte SSD is, uh, but wow. uh, uh, I think they've come down quite a bit. So you can just kind of make your own and use Time yeah, we have software. Yeah, we have Best Buy, but I think a lot of people would probably, um, New Egg, we have New Egg here as well. But yeah. um, And of course, we have Amazon. We also have uh, a company called Canada, Canadian Computers, which tends to sell last year's stuff. Mm. I don't know if you have stores like that there. Yeah, well, yeah, Fry's is kind of like that. They're definitely sort of a discount store. But you know what? For a backup disk drive, so what? Yeah, what do you need? Yeah, yeah you don't need yeah. the latest and greatest. No, nope. you just need to you just need to know it's somewhere. The data is somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can retrieve it and restore it. Yeah. All right. The other one, new one was today was that Apple has is allowing people to you can assign in the third party, I guess, like Zendesk or whatever, to field your calls on customer reviews. So this this customer support role thing could be really good if if they really uh, they really do something with it. You know, if this person has some extra insight into or not insight, but some better communication channel into Apple to handle all these reviews, or is it just a, meant to be just an organizational thing on the customers or on our side, the developer side? I, I don't know. From what I read earlier it's like it's like i, I mean I, I initially just changed the title on the, the notes here but essentially i see it as, as assigning a delegate to answer the, the questions for you like you can add a another party or another login to go in and retrieve and respond to the the uh, comments right. that are on the right the so app store page so any so anyone could do that job so i guess right. yeah. may, maybe what it is is just in the way that now they've got all sorts of roles that you can uh, assign within, within itunes connect and it, you know this is probably more Right. applicable for a larger company where there's different people doing all these different jobs and, and you might not want the you know the, the tester to have access to the financial information or whatnot so maybe right, you want right. the customer maybe you don't want the customer support person to have access to similar information and so they have a role where pretty much all they can do is is uh, interact with the with the reviews that's probably what it is but uh, but I'm hoping it's it's a little bit more than that I'm hoping that there's uh, you know there's some kind of channel from this customer support person into someone at Apple to help managing these reviews and, and interacting with these reviews. That would be great. Yeah, well, I think this is like it says here in the bottom of the paragraph here that prior to, you know, 10.3 or, or um, uh, 10, iOS 10.3 or Sierra 10.12.4, we had no way to respond to issues that, right. that uh, people, like if you got a, a one-star, two-star review, you had the the person reviewing you had complete anonymity. You had no way to reach back to them and say, um, you know, we fixed that or we're really sorry you feel that way, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, right. whatever you right. need to manage the situation. Right and and it seems to me like you said I think uh, this is a new customer support role that's apart from you know the people who handle the business of the app and yeah. all that kind of stuff yep. right so yeah that's pretty heavily good, implied but, by the second paragraph in the quoted paragraph right uh, the yeah. one in italics where they basically say if you've been assigned to this customer support role you can access only certain areas within iTunes Connect and when you click on right. on right. your app it just takes you directly to the ratings and reviews and right. uh, and you can't see anything else yeah well to give an example. In my case, I'm I'm a single, I'm a solo developer, so when there's a customer support issue, I'm the guy who takes point on it, right? right? But in in larger apps that I've worked on, um, there's a there's an individual. We have a support site that triggers an email and creates a ticket, yep. and that person responds to it, or and then they might fire it back to me if it's a developer related question that needs tweaking. And I I generally don't respond back to the customers. I I say it's been fixed, and then the person who's the customer support role does the responding to the client. And that's that we set that up outside of it. Apple's now providing us. And then in the large corporation that I work for, um, I mean, I don't even have access to iTunes Connect in that case. And there is someone that handles the customer support responses and reviews and that kind of stuff. And, and there's like a completely different person who handles, you know, the certifications, you know, I, but like all the sort of roles that you would think could be broken out individual people are, you know, in our case, right? So, so there's different ways of scaling that up, like you said, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that at your place at, at Simple too, Hame? Like, is it sort of 
split up roles or not real heavily. I mean, there are you know some roles like only a handful of folks can or a relative handful of folks can push an app to the app store or right, other right. things. Um, of course, we have marketing folks and what are the other ones like technical analyst or something? I think iTunes Connect has. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll we'll add the customer support role folks as well because we've already respond to Google Play reviews because that's been available and now they're making this available. We can do the same thing for App Store reviews. Well, that's cool. All right. So that's Apple. Well, we've just answered that one. <laughs> so that's Apple. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for people, for those who are driving at home and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Adam, do, you want, do you want to talk about their iPhone 8? Just, uh, uh, lots more rumors that uh, there's going to be delays and who knows. There's there even one article I saw where they were saying that they have not even started mass production yet. Wow. Hmm. Which is kind of scary. So that same article was saying it'll, it'll be November if we're lucky before we see these things. Wow. I also heard there's a new iPhone SE coming out. Maybe we'll get, maybe I'll be able to get on an SE before a while. Mm. But uh, I just I posted a link mm-hmm. here from, I think we've talked about these guys before, the Mac OS sorry, Mac Rumors uh, Roundup uh, iPhone 8 page. They've posted a bunch of um, renderings, uh, supposedly leaked design renderings um, with lots of Chinese characters on them of the iPhone um, front and back. Uh, and I see, I've seen some, I don't know if these are 3D models or, so, or somebody's made or printed a model or whatever, um, but there's lots of specs. And it, and it shows no uh, home button on the front of the screen. So the screen is a full screen and then it's got sort of an area down at the bottom where you use your Touch ID uh, for the Touch ID sensor if it goes through the glass and so on and so forth and of course the the uh, camera which is oriented two cameras which are oriented for holding the uh, phone in landscape mode while you take it like you would on an instamatic camera back in the day using the volume volume control as a shutter right? so <laughs> yeah i think you know looking at the information here and some things like the the uh, case like the third party case that you could put around the phone um, right, yeah. are there that sort of makes me think that there's a little bit more to this one right because the if the real thing has leaked out then there's certainly going to be companies that are going to make, you know, in China, that are going to make third-party cases. They want to have them ready on, on day one. They want to have a whole bunch of them. Right, um, right. If the sort of notion around these things not going into mass production is true, it does sort of seem to lend a little credence to the idea that what if, you know, there's three new phones. There's, you know, S or, you know, S model editions of the iPhone 7, the iPhone 7 Plus that are, you know, nice upgrades, kind of like the way the S models tend to be, you know, some new feature in there, a little bit of an upgrade on certain components, but largely a refinement of what you got the year before and they can produce those in a huge quantity what if it's not those phones that are you know not going into mass production what if it's this sort of special edition pro version that's uh that's sort of rumored as being sort of like the premier version the the much more expensive hey. base model version what if you know as some folks i think like john gruber and john's um jason snell have mentioned like what if they had something where instead of having to gear up to build 10 million of these for day one sales what if they only had to make a million or 500,000 or whatever the equivalent is of like, you know, it's so expensive. We only expect X number of people. The 10th anniversary buy. phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the iPhone, not the iPhone, the, the iPhone edition. Apple Watch Edition. Yeah. The Apple yeah. Watch Edition. Yeah. Like how many of those could they have possibly sold? Less than a million, I would guess. I mean, how many people yeah, I, could possibly I, afford I bet a they gave away watch? more than they sold at that one. Right. As, really? yeah, nice. as high level gifts to people, you know, to CEOs or investors or whatever. Yeah. But they don't even have to make that many, right? Because each one is having, you know, lovingly handcrafted by Johnny Ive, right? And, and he has them serialized and it comes with a porcelain plate if you order right now sort of thing. I mean, maybe, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what we're hearing. I don't know. It could- yeah, it's interesting. I was going to say, it's interesting if you look at the, the, on this rendering page, the the color renderings of the three phones, um, they've got this, you know, the seven size and the seven plus size and this eight fits right between the two of them. The screen size is, the screen area is much, is bigger, but physically it's, it's uh, just slightly larger than an iPhone seven, maybe a little slightly wider as well. So if you're thinking like in terms of size. So I, I, you know, to be honest with you, like I said before many times, my ne- I'm currently on a six plus, my next phone will be not a plus size, you know, mm. and, and unless the camera is like, you know, all that. I mean, I do have a seven, a seven plus at work that I tend to play around with and I love the depth uh, effect with the, with the two cameras. Right. But uh, I don't know if I would buy a phone because of the camera specifically. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the SE earlier. So my main development phone is a seven and my main personal phone is a seven. Uh, but I also have a backup development phone at the office that's an se and it's really tiny it's really small yeah i, yeah, I could yeah. not imagine using that as my own personal phone yeah isn't that funny we were out for for years we 
wanted smaller phones, smaller phones to the point yeah. where they were like down to like almost fit in your ear kind of thing, right? Right. Little tiny flip phones, and then and then all of a sudden now we're back to big. You know, I think some of the Android phones are bigger than the iPhones uh, six plus and seven plus. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Few, and the, um, the SE is bigger than the original iPhone, the original couple of models of the iPhone. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's a, it's the same size those. as a four, right? Uh, it's the same, same size as a five. iPhone five. Five, right, 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 right. The four was the same size as the three and early ones, but had a, had the pixel. Dis- I mean, sorry, the uh, uh, the Retina display, so it seemed bigger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, in real time follow up. I don't know if you mentioned. Remember, I mentioned that I was having trouble charging my my six plus. Turned out it was lint in the in the uh, lightning yeah. port that <laughs> built up. Yeah, yeah that would I've, be the I've that. Yeah. that would be the Greg Heo shadow tip of the week. So he, Greg was yeah, the one who taught yeah. me about that trick. Yeah, I had that same problem happen to me on, on I think it was on my iPhone four. I was up at the cottage and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't charge and I'm freaking out because I'm at the cottage and and then I went online and somebody sort of said, yeah, take one of those old twist tie, um, you know, the the plastic with the metal inside and just sort of make a, a little hockey stick end on it and just go in there and fish out the, the, the lint. Quite a bit came out actually, surprisingly. So I don't know about that one, Tim. I'm going to have to gonna have to criticize the, the choice of the metal object going in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Did you have the phone on and you you, you did it in like underwater yeah, I was probably, too? I think I was making a call at the time, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was super paranoid. I like ground, I grounded myself. Like I got you know rubber gloves, like like dishwashing gloves, and then I also used a wooden toothpick while the device was off. Very carefully yeah. pulled things out. You know, do, trying to do everything I could to avoid any. Yeah, I used I used a hammer. I got a really small chisel and a hammer, and I was like hammering the lint out of it. Yeah, total safety. Had my flip flops on. <laughs> <laughs> Mine came out in almost a perfect mold. I wish it I had been a little bit more careful pulling it out and, and taking. Like, oh, a, really? It can Instagram or Twitter photo because it, it, it was pretty good i got about half of it coming out as like a perfect mold and uh, i wasn't quite so so careful the other half back in the day when i did my my iphone 4 um i was pretty sure i took a picture of the, the it's amazing how much lint comes out of the out of the, the thing right you know because it's in your pocket all day and you're just you're shoving lightning cables in and just packing it in right yeah it just gets yeah, just caking it, it in there yeah so mm-hmm. and you get that and you plug the plug the cable in and, and uh, it goes ding 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 every couple of seconds as it tries to connect right so yeah i mean so what i see here yes. when i see the the sort of three bodies for the 7S Plus, the 8 and the 7S as uh, reported here. I think sort of bringing it back to sort of like developer tips and advice, I think, you know, looking at those WWD sessions and saying, you know what, they're hinting a lot at this stuff. Like, of course, they've been telling us about size classes and auto layout and they give us enhancements like anchors and stack views to to help with that. And then as we mentioned last week, yeah, last episode, we mentioned the fact that, hey, not only are they giving us a huge hint with the safe area guides for layout, they're also giving us a really, really good hint considering the fact that those are backwards deployable to, you know, iOS 10, right? So I, I think that's a real good hint that there is something here around this this iPhone 8. What, you know, even if it doesn't look like this model, it's going to be significant enough a change where you kind of want to go where the where the hockey puck is headed on, on this one for updating your apps right. when you have a chance. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah, it should be interesting to see. But definitely, definitely seems to be, uh, the consensus seems to be that, you know, the, the front-facing camera and the proximity sensors are all going to be crammed at the very top of the and the speaker hole at the very top of the phone, right? So um, your image, your screen real estate is going to is going to be considerably taller and, and narrower, right, than any other phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But who knows? Only Apple knows. Yeah, these things are, are slowly turning into the perfectly thin piece of I don't know, like plasticine looking thing that Tony Stark has in one of the Iron Man movies, where he's showing his mobile phone that doesn't have any bezels and it doesn't have anything at all. It just looks like a clear piece of glass or plastic, oh, oh, like. Lexan or something like that? It was something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I yeah. really remember the texture looking kind of cool and interesting of like, wow, that's a phone I want, right? I don't really need <laughs> a bezel. I don't really need these other things. Like, why not? It should adapt to my my needs. And if it could roll up and fit in my pocket, that'd be even better. Well, yeah, I was just about to say that. So that's the, the promised magic of the OLED technology. That's So OLED stands for organic light emitting diode as opposed to a uh, silicon crystal based light emitting diode, which is a rigid solid or an LCD is also a rigid thing. But the LEDs are made by a, a, chemi- a chemical process where they exist in solution and they're spun onto some material. And I remember back in grad school, and this is a long time ago, but but uh, it's, it's taken that long for the technology to get there. Uh, I remember seeing demonstrations of people taking literally plastic sheets uh, and spinning these things on in, you know, in a research lab and making LEDs and essentially making a little display that you could roll up and stick in your pocket. Now, back then, wow. they were incredibly primitive back then but you know it's been a few years so the technology should be almost here for that should be exciting hmm. yeah interesting
Interesting. All righty. Okay. So, uh, Jaime, I have a post here about, uh, which I saw, uh, I sent this to a client who might be interested in this kind of thing, but it's really cool, uh, uh, cracking the, how Apple reads the promo codes on the back of their gift cards. Yeah. So if you've ever used one of those, like the iTunes gift card and you peel off the sticker, or if you have kind of an older one, you use a penny or something, you scratch off the, um, sort of like metal debris that's covering it and you open up the app store and it brings up a little camera that when you use to redeem your code and it automatically reads it in instead of requiring you to put in, I don't know, what is it, like a 16-digit you know, sure, yeah. you know, ASCII sort of thing. Well, that's not really available officially to anyone. You know, you can make promo codes for your app, you know, if your app is paid or if you want to give somebody a promo code for like an in-app purchase or something, um, either for friends and family or you want to give somebody as a gift or maybe you want to send it to somebody at the press. You know, you could imagine like having these sorts of things as business cards. Well, somebody sort of went through the effort of reverse engineering how it works. And it turns out it's a it's a couple different things. Like one, there's actually a secret font. And in this article talks about the fact that uh, you're able to find it. It's like right there on your Mac somewhere uh, because the Mac app store has to understand this as well. Right. So it's a secret font and uh, they do a really nice job of sort of, you know, seeing some of the like unusual things about this font face, like with the letter Q, letter M and the way that numbers are handled. All of these sort of things that sort of hint at the idea that Apple's recognition is looking for very particular things to make sure that it's fast and that it's sort of accurate of, of what it's doing. And apparently there's also some sort of magic regarding the uh, the little box. So it's not just the code that has, you know, XWD, T45, that sort of thing. It also has a little box that helps in the recognition. And there's a specific sort of ratio for the width to font size to border thickness of that font. And if you sort of follow their, their techniques here, they have a sketch template and a Photoshop template and you, you know, go get that font for yourself. You can create and print out your own promo cards that will scan in just like the App Store um, or the Apple gift cards. Hmm. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, it'd be great if yeah. Apple officially supported this. So your mileage right. may vary if they, they shut it down. But I mean, there's millions of these gift cards out there. They can't turn around so, on a yeah. dime and, and change it. So if they can figure out the encoding then, then they could counterfeit their own iTunes cards, couldn't they? <laughs> With well, this? So, so, sort of, hmm, sort of. Maybe. I mean, you have to know the, you'd have to know the, co- the code. I mean, well, what's right, cool yeah. about this, the font the font name is Scan Scancardium, by the way, which is kind of cool name. But this is this is something like, you know, to me, this is like an augmented reality trigger because uh, I've been looking at augmented reality for a number of years. And one of, the, one of the things you can do is you can print a pattern or you can even draw a pattern in some cases on a piece of paper. And when you focus an app that is looking for that specific pattern, it can trigger uh, an augmented reality experience, right? So like, you know, there's if you look at string, I think it's called string or strings is one of the frameworks that was out around the same time as, you know, Qualcomm had their Flora thing or whatever. Um, but you could print out these targets. And I, I used to carry two, I used to have it on my phone and my iPad and you could point it at this target and depending either a monster would, you know, appear on your desk and walk around on the desk or, uh, you know, a dragon would fly out of a hole and, and whatever. And it was just based on this black and white target that was on, was uh, printed on the piece of paper. And so to me, like this, like Jaime sort of said, the combination of the square box with the specific ratio and the, the type of font is triggering this augmented reality handling that the, the camera app has built in, or, or at least the, uh, I guess the iTunes app has built into it. Sure. Like if you just do it with the regular camera, it doesn't work right away, right? Right. But, um, and, but and, in, and in, in the example, in the article, they give, you know, sort of the step-by-step, you know, breakdown of how to build, like Jaime said, how to build this thing and, and scan it in. So you could totally build your own um, promo card for sure, right? So they've done that work, these guys. They presumably yeah. know how to build this structure. So now they just need to figure out what makes this 16 character code a valid code. And right. presumably, you know, there's 16, 16 characters and uh, it looks like there's 26 letters plus probably nine digits, uh, maybe 10 digits with a zero. So that's 36 different characters. So that's a huge number of possible combinations. Sure. Enormous. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's only so, uh, some certain subset of them that are valid uh, and probably it's some formula that some kind of hashing kind of type, type of formula that creates these codes. Uh, right. If they could figure out that code, all they have to do is print the code for the, you know, the $1,000 uh, card with the right mm-hmm. font and the right box and start. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I mean, like, the, the, I don't think they're talking about building this for the for the sake of, of hacking the app store, right? I think they're talking about building it for your own promos, right? Because um, I've done this before. I basically wrote a, a, a coupon code for, for a customer back in long before iOS. And I just wrote an algorithm that created like a, a string of a certain length. And we just printed them up on labels and he used to stick them on the back of his DVD covers and they were like 
like a promo code that would give you access to extra features on the website. I mean, it's, that's kind of sure. what these I guys mean, are talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's similar. Right? Sure, sure. But, yeah. but so, you know, that's a, that's a public code. So it's not going to be heavily encrypted. Uh, they want no, well, but uh, what I'm saying though is here, you're not, you're not, you're never going to be able to get hack into Apple's sort of algorithms to figure what their hundred dollar, thousand dollar card or gift card is worth. Right. So, well, well let's yeah, examine I, that one. Right. Cause I think, I, I think I see what Mark is saying. So I think the, I think the security aspect, Mark, if I'm understanding here of like, Oh, like if you can generate codes, it would match to some gift card out there. Right. But from what I recall in the way that these work at the register is that somebody has to activate that card. Right, so you yeah. might collide with a mm. actual like identifier, but if it's not been activated, you're out of luck. Even if you did luck, get lucky and it was a thousand dollar one, like, well, it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, nobody's activated it. So, okay. Right, right. But what if you were able to collide with an active one, you know, mm. little, little Timmy mm-hmm. got a thousand dollar gift card from grandma. And of course, you know, it's been activated and uh, you happen to luck into it. Like, I wonder what yeah. the math is yeah. on that one. So, Cause yeah. that seems like a possibility attack. though, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, anything's possible, but I think the probability is, is, is really high. Oh, and, and the like probability said, is, yeah, is extremely low of stumbling on one of these for sure. But, but there is some formula out there that generates these and yeah, some, somebody sure. knows that formula. So, so it's possible yeah, to true. hack it. I also wonder, I also wonder what's encoded in the barcode. Is it the same series of digits? No, it's probably a product code for the, for like an identifier token, a token identifier for that card. And, and it probably goes back to Apple's site some or server somewhere. You can probably scan it with like red laser and see what yeah, the value maybe. of it yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's probably just a, a, like a big long honking token, right? That mm-hmm. that goes back to Apple. And, and like you said, they have a, somewhere they have a database of, of cards that have been out, sent out to retail. And, uh, you know, they, 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 that must be the secret glue that activates the card, right? Yeah. And it's probably like yeah. a one time use only kind of thing, right? Yeah, it could be. At least, the, I mean, the activation side, right? I mean, it should be the sort of thing you wouldn't see multiple times. Like it's intended for the point of sale system, which is why it's probably a, a 2D code instead, uh, sorry, a, a 1D code instead of a 2D right. code, like a QR code. So, you know, the retailer that hasn't gone up to having like the fancier camera based QR code reader, they can just sort of use their typical red lasers, as Tim mentioned. And I'm guessing there must be some sort of check of like, okay, who's pulling the sales system is coming from? Okay, this is coming from a Walmart in Topeka, Kansas. All right, that looks legit. And we haven't seen any fraud coming out of there. And it seems like it's normal business hours. It's not, you know, four in the morning or some other time when that store is closed. Hmm. At least that's what I would do. You know, do a little bit of fraud analysis on these because that's yeah, a real sure. tempting target for, for fraud. That's a, that's a nice chunk of change that nobody would notice you walked out with. Mm-hmm. If you're at a good spot, Mark, uh, I think your opinion on the next link that we're going to talk about would be highly valued. So, okay, yeah, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So, yeah, so the big, the, another big announcement today was uh, and sort of set a bit of a Twitter Twitter uh, excitement out there for amongst the uh, the people in the geek world of know, knowing them. Knowing them, um, Apple has produced a blog today called Machine. It's called a journal or a machine learning journal, and uh, they posted their first uh, story on some uh, machine learning stuff. So I don't know if you've had a, you want to take a second to look, scan, scan through that. But Yeah, looking at it now, just the fact that they're doing it is great. You know, there was, there was always uh, an issue that Apple had where it was, it was people who do stuff like machine learning are, tend to be, you know, kind of academically oriented and they like to publish papers and present at conferences and things like that. And Apple apparently used to be very, very strict about that. So you weren't allowed to say anything else externally about the work that you're doing. And uh, they, they just announced that they were going to start being a little bit more, bit more open a couple of months ago when they brought in the the new the new guy to head the team, uh, and this is the first thing I've seen coming out of there. So I think this is fantastic. shows uh, shows a a new uh, a newer opener Apple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It goes through the whole sort of as we've been talking about on the show before. No surprise to anybody listening to the show. You know how to, how does the learning work and and some you know visual examples as well as some uh, technical you know charts and lines and eight by ten glossies with you know circles and arrows on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, which is cool. Of course, the criticism from the uh, the geeks on Twitter is that there's no RSS feed that you can subscribe to. Um, so probably jokes about uh, whether it's built with web objects or not. But uh, you know, there is, I think there is an XML feed, but um, but not a RSS proper RSS feed. But that that's the one criticism about it. But I mean, hey, you know what? You, like you said, it's a step in the right direction as yeah. far as uh, Apple Apple sharing the knowledge, right? So, yeah. yeah. And they started out with a really interesting topic too, where they're improving the realism of synthetic images. In this case, you know, person's eye, you know, gazing at something and, and sort of taking a real image as 
synthetic ambient engine using those to refine and train. It's got uh, pretty cool information. It is, as far as I can tell, very well sourced. So you can go see sort of the references that they were using. And uh, as folks noted, there's interestingly no byline on this. You don't actually know who it was. That it was is interesting. In this yeah. movie, but still Just really cool. They opened up this. Yeah. Yep. That guy. So one thing you can do is scan the references and see if any name appears a little more often than others. And maybe that's the author. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like you could apply some statistical methods here to see how are these people connected? Yep. What's the style of, of writing for this prose and f- try to figure out who it is that yep. actually wrote this. That's hard to tell. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah this is cool. The animation is a concept here for history and non-history of like how sort of each gyration here sort of makes its way towards the the ultimate target of where they'd like to be on this is interesting. It's not just like a, a straight linear path. There's actually a lot of stops and starts and readjustments on the way there. Mm-hmm. I like the animation of the kind of amoeba-ish looking blob approaching the target in figure four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our excitement over the uh, Apple's full disclosure, mm-hmm. or so, somewhat full disclosure. Yeah, and stuff. You know, I'm kind of hoping that in the future they'll add resources that you can download. Like if they say, oh, by the way, and here's the, the pre-trained model to run this, go shove it into Coromel and have fun with it. Yeah. That'd be a nice enhancement in the future. Well, I'm sure there will be, I mean, if not specifically from Apple, I'm sure there will be people working in the field, you know, publishing their models in, in the Coromel frame, uh, format that you'll be able to download. They do tend, to, in this field, they do tend to share stuff and they're pretty open. It's kind kind of, you know, quote, you know, open source-ish. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Share the knowledge. Yep, yep. Okay, what's next, Tim? <laughs> what's next is our picks, so... Uh, I don't have one, so I'll let Jaime steal the picture. Yeah, I've got a couple. Yeah, a couple quick ones here. Uh, the first one is a tweet by Thomas Zeckling. It says, another Xcode 9 gem. The simulator now comes with a share extension to transfer URLs, files, locations, etc. pretty easily. And it has a, a nice little animated GIF that you can take a look at. This will be in the show notes for those of you driving at home, where you're in Finder, let's say, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the image that I want to send to the device. And before on the show, we talked about another pick where you can use some command line tools to do the same thing. That's not always convenient if you're using Finder to go dig through things. And in this case, you can just choose the share sheet, like something you might use to send via email or iMessage or let's say like AirDrop. It's that same share sheet you can use and you can choose the simulator um, as a sort of thing and just send it right over. And as far as I understand, you know, this will send it over like as if it was sort of like AirDroppy for, you know, file type things. Or if you send a URL, it's kind of a nice way to do um, URL um, linking, like deep linking into your app for sort of things. So it's kind of cool. I like the fact that there's more options than just, oh, okay, let me go look up that bookmark for how I use these particular command line tools or something that's built in that's a nice visual GUI to do this. And I'm curious though, you know that you can drag and drop things onto the simulator, right? Like if you want to put an image over there, you can just drag and drop it and it'll go into the photos app on the simulator. And I'm not sure about URLs. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know about URLs. Let's try that. But well, with the drag and drop, I mean, right? But, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, but I definitely know because I've added, I've added photos to my because I want you know write some tutorials or, or working on a photo app or whatever I want to have a photo accessible in the simulator in the library right waiting for my simulator to launch spinny 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 oh while we're waiting for this to launch here um, you know that other the other thing about the was a couple of weeks ago when um, we mentioned that you could turn off certain uh, devices in this you know the device list in the simulator in Xcode so that they the different simulators wouldn't show up mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. tried right. that a number of times and it doesn't work for me I don't know if you've tried it at all yeah I carved down my list I removed all the iOS 8 and variant versions. Is it only in iOS 9 or does this work in any? No, I did I did it in Xcode 8. Yeah. Yeah. I've not checked with Xcode 9 to see what the setup is, but I, I did that. Cleared out all my Xcode, or sorry, iOS 8 simulators, the right, various right. 8 point something variants that I had. Right. By the way, I was just able to drag, I just went to this Twitter link that you have here and opened my simulator and I dragged the, I just clicked on the little, the little bird to create a draggable piece of text and I just dropped it right in the uh, URL bar in uh, my simulator and it's taking me to the page. Cool. So. And the, the thing I see here uh, is the location stuff is pretty nice where you can choose something from maps and drag it oh, over cool. or, or I guess use the sharing sheet and that'll set the simulated location. That's that's really nice because I've, I've never really liked the sort of handling of like having to put in specific lat longs for Xcode mm. if you wanted to change mm-hmm. that or, you know, go build one of those simulated locations files that will take mm-hmm. you on a journey. It's kind of nice to be able to send a specific location. Well, here, let's see if that works too. I'm just opening the maps app in my phone here. 
Yeah, because as far as the uh, simulator thinks, I'm in. I'm in. Um, I am in Cupertino, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody def- by default is over there at uh, spiritually at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> spiritually, <laughs> yeah, I can't seem to copy and paste this link in there. But uh, yeah, but uh, I was able to drag a URL over, and I was able to. I've been able to drop photos into the simulator for years, right? So interesting tip, though. Kind of cool to see share services being used like that. Mm-hmm. What else have you got for us, Jaime? There's a blog post by Michael Ox. Oats. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Apologize for that. Who works for PSPDF Kit? And this is all about user breakpoints in Xcode. I know we've talked about using breakpoints before, and you can yeah. share them and, and put them in your user instead of you know the workspace or, or whatnot. So if you have sort of favorite breakpoints that you want to use, for example, we've talked about the auto layout one of like, oh, you have unsatisfiable constraints, you know, break on that, and then show us what the auto layout trace looks like, so we can sort of figure out what's going on. This includes that, but there's also some other ones that I thought were really nice and handy. Uh, symbols that I didn't really know were available for you to do cool things with, like um, NSKVO deallocate break. Like that's a really hard one to, to sort of fix if you don't have this sort of breakpoint where uh, this one breaks in places where KVO complains about observers still being in place, which I know, I've, I know I've certainly been guilty of. Uh, of course, I'm using the UI application main that calls the debugger commands to go ahead and import UI kit. And although it's not mentioned here, I also import foundation. So you don't end up getting those weird errors in hmm. The debugger is like, sorry, I have no idea what UI view is. Yes, you do, because I've imported UI kit. And instead of doing that every time I do a debugging session, it just automatically does that as soon as the app runs. And then even further, the one I really, really love a lot, um, just because I'm coming into you know an older code base where I wasn't involved in the creation of every little bit of it, um, UI view controller init with nib name bundle and being able to use that as a breakpoint. And you don't want it on all the time because what that one does is it breaks every time that a view controller is initialized. So if you're wondering, okay, I'm going to tap this button and I have no clue. I've even used the visual hierarchy debugger to sort of like peek around and say, okay, what type of thing is this? And sometimes, you know, if you have some generic code that, you know, builds off of data-driven things rather than being based off of like a storyboard or a nib or or some really more obvious thing, sometimes it'd be kind of hard to figure out like, what what the heck, which view controller is this? If you turn that one on, it will show you, be like, boom, that's XYZ view controller. Oh, okay, cool. Now we can go find it and and investigate what I'm doing yeah. with that. Yeah. I'm also a, a big fan of the XCT failure handler one where, you know, I'll run a unit test suite and I've, you know, I've done the thing that, you know, at the end of the test suite, it will play one of two sounds, either a really happy one if tests are good or, uh, you know, verbalizes to me test failed if one does. So I can run the test suite while I go off and do other things. But sometimes it's kind of a hassle of like, okay, I know it failed, but where the heck did this fail? I don't really want to le- you know, read through the log or filter through these hundreds of tests and say, okay, which one was in the failed? If you turn this breakpoint on, I'll just run the test suite again, and then it will go and stop on the specific test that failed. So it kind of saves me a lot of time of like, oh, okay, there you go. Now I understand what the problem is. How's that different than running local tests? Like, you mean when you're running tests on the whole the whole app or? Yeah, like if you're running a, a larger test suite. So, I mean, if you're doing one new test or you're modifying some stuff that's specific to a particular test, it's not that hard in general to figure out, oh, that was the one I just broke, right? I, I, I obviously just changed the one component. But sometimes if you're doing some refactoring work, you might break something in a completely unrelated component. And I've done that tons of times where I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that was being used over there too. That's that's kind of weird. Um, so if you're running the entire test suite that has you know, hundreds of tests, it's not necessarily obvious as to where this thing broke, right? Like it's um, right. the at least the visual hierarchy they show of all your tests running in, um, in Xcode has never really been super user friendly to me. I kind of prefer the way that mm-hmm. JetBrains does their stuff with uh, IntelliJ by comparison. I think it like really highlighted, you know, these ones all went green. And by the way, we filtered the list down to just the ones that failed. Um, like I know you can do kind of similar things, but it's it's kind of nice to just flick on this breakpoint, you know, like while I'm writing, you know, tests and just run my stuff, go off and do things on my own and then come back and be like, oh, okay, it failed. And this is specifically where it failed. So I'll just give one cool. word of caution about one of these, the exception breakpoint for C++, which says it stops when a C++ exception is hit. Well, that's fine, but you just got to be careful one thing. Uh, in Objective C, and even more so in, in Swift, uh, exceptions are something that, that I'm sorry, uh, the opposite. In Objective-C, if you get an exception, it pretty much means your app is getting close to crashing, right? Something went really wrong. Uh, typically, exceptions are not used for control flow uh, much at all if, in Objective-C. But in C++, they, they are, or they can be. So some people use exception handling to, you know, almost like a, a glorified if statement to test which of a bunch of conditions happened uh, when you try to do something. Not typically error conditions, but, but the 
not necessarily something that's going to break the app or crash the app. It's something that you just want to check that the result of something was a certain type of thing. You know, and 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 this is this is reasonably commonly done in, in language like C plus plus. So this breakpoint will break on on those things. So you'll get potentially uh, breakpoints triggering when it wasn't something that will crash the app, and it wasn't something that really means that you really need to be told about or have your attention called to. It's it just means that there was some condition in the in the normal flow of the of the app that caused this exception to get triggered. Uh, and you know, with the the developer meaning for it to just continue on and just note the condition that happened, uh, but this will stop uh, stop the flow and put a breakpoint there. So you might get surprising uh, uh, hits of these breakpoints when you think there's something wrong, but there really isn't something wrong. Uh, I, I'll give a concrete example of that. The, the AV... Foundation, uh, yeah, AV Recorder, which lets you record uh, audio, has one of these C++ exceptions in there. So if you are recording using an AV Recorder uh, and you have that exception hit uh, turned on, then you will, at times, just get the program flow stopping in the middle of your recording for no obvious reason. And you can hit continue and it'll just keep going and the app continues. It doesn't break or anything. So it's not the same kind of an exception as an Objective-C objection. Yeah, that's a, that's a good advice there. Like, as I mentioned, with the UI view controller in it with nib name one, that one will drive you nuts because it gets called on mm. every view controller. So if you're <laughs> using view controller containment, guess what? For every one of those contained view controllers, it's going to break for those ones too. So you could definitely got to use it where you you know that you're looking for something in particular. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like the C++ breakpoint one is the, the same thing as well. Same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And some of my early apps, there were hundreds and hundreds of in it with nib view controller in it with nib statements. The cool thing is it seems to work even for uh, other things. I I mean, unless I'm just going crazy here, I, I saw it happen with uh, nib-based and storyboard-based stuff. Hmm. So that must be calling init with nib name under the covers somewhere. It might be, yeah. They might mm-hmm. have uh, overridden it for something with storyboards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to take these out for a drive. Um, that will definitely like it with the uh, view controller one because I do run into a lot of old legacy code that, you know, it's hard to sort of figure out what's what's really happening, you know? Yeah, yeah it's like, how did I get here? Which, which view controller is yeah. this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, you know, you can always hit command and shift get J and find out where you are in the tree, right? But uh, oh, sure. I mean, if if I know what it is, yeah, 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 that, yeah. If I know what it is at that point, but sometimes like uh, there's a couple of different variants. This could be, and it kind of depends on which data source got initialized, and I don't even know which one did. And I just want to run it and say, okay, I'm about to press this button that will bring up the view I'm interested in. Okay, now break. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? The best spot is on Twitter. I am at Dev with Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com or at Smapsoft. One M, two Ps. Right. So, once again, uh, I am Timitra. I am on Twitter as T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And uh, that's it for another week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm friend of the show, Evan Deckazer. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. The podcast Twitter handle is at MTJC underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Whenever, right. whenever you spell your name, I always think of you as I always think that you're the uh, the dorm advisor at that tech school on the East Coast, uh-huh. as you say, MIT RA. Oh, oh, T I M M I T. You know, it's Tim, and then it's Tim backwards and R A. So Tim R. I never really thought of it that way. My mind is blown now.
<laughs> is it? <laughs> there's Tim, and then there's AR Tim. Yeah, alternate you reality, reality Tim. Yeah, augmented, augmented reality, reality Tim, Tim. alternate yeah. reality. Yeah, I'm not really sure which which yeah. which acronym we're yeah. using for AR. Well, Tim. my le- my legal name starts with AR, so. There you go, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. So A R T I M M I T R A M O U S E. I am my own palindrome <laughs> or whatever that's called, right? Yeah, M O U S E. That's right. We talk about Glassboard, using Glassboard, and actually, I, I, I think it was through Glassboard that I actually met Jaime when we went to 360 iDev, and we went that first night for nachos, right? We did. And it, I don't remember. I I can't remember, but it, but it was you. Was like it was a, you. You and me and Jonathan. Um, oh, he's at Apple now. Jonathan. Jonathan Penn. Jonathan Penn, right? And I think um, and Jerrica and uh, wasn't um, the guy from the guy with the camping app from um, uh, south of Denver? What's it called? Albuquerque. Um, don't you know? Do you know? Not, very far from yeah i was gonna say in new mexico well, he, he, he just told me it was south of south of denver right whatever but or south due south from denver yeah. uh what's his name um he's a fan of the show did you not meet him that that, that time mm, trying to um while you're looking at tim did you write this all down in the 15 minutes no 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 this, this okay. is several this is several 15 minutes several okay okay i was like man that's no, a no, lot no, of content no. to, to bang out there in 15 minutes how long no, did you talk uh 40 minutes okay yeah so, and then oh. split between two people so really yeah. only like 20 well, I, figure, I figure we'll riff back and forth on each other too right so i think i think you should go with the ventriloquist thing that we were talking about so so you know i mean you can sit on on tim's lap right no i'm on moving around the room i understand it. I sit, and so. get somebody's Sorry. like mascara draw like 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 mouth lines that yeah. go down my chin so yeah. it kind of looks yeah. like the wooden part moving yeah, yeah. there you go yeah Man, and then Tim, you can you can drink you can drink a big glass of water while, while i'm just talking and it'll look really impressive right i'm totally good yeah. i re- i really hope that somebody records that part because i'm going to go out of my way to to drink yeah. some water while, while Tim's speaking about something. Right, right. <laughs> hey, do we want to do a taping while we're there? You must so I'd rather not lug Nino. my microphone and all that with me, but if- no, no, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll get Jaime to lug his. <laughs> I don't think I want to lug the good one though, so we're going to end up with that electric so buzz. Lug, and lug we- the bad one then. Yeah, I'll, I'll, the bad I'll, one I'll, I'll do. I can lug the bad one. See, I'm- I can't, I can't lug, I can't lug the uh, my microphone because it, it looks like a bomb when I'm coming through. <laughs> right? No, Jim, they stop that thing. Just don't come in on Emirates or you know whatever fancy pants thing TD sending you. Oh, on. you didn't hear? Okay, so so this is the show, but um, you didn't hear today that they. They've upped the uh, American flights into America from international, including Canada. Anything larger than a smartphone has to be open, taken out of out of its casing, has to be open and powered up so they can inspect it. Wow! How's that going to work yeah. for the mics? <laughs> what do you want me to do? You plug it in his laptop right now? Here, this, no, this is the show. No. What's, what's your name, Mr. TSA agent? It's- I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about my like my laptop, my like eleven inch iMac that I normally bring with me, right? So yeah, yeah, you know. So that whole thing we were talking about before where you have no rights at the border and they get to look at your stuff and decide whether or not it interests the country or not, right? Yeah. Well, maybe we can ask John if we can borrow some setup, you know, just <sighs> simple setup to record audio and then, you know, do what may. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll Just I'll tell them you're from Russia. It'll be fine. We can rent something. It's not a big deal. Look, so so just, just I don't know if I ever told you because of the story, but I, I know I've told it before, but when we went to Barcelona, uh, we were going to, to pitch the Olympic Committee and um, they had no, they didn't, they claimed they didn't know anything about how to hang, what protocols for flags and stuff like that. And we took, brought a whole bunch of flags, a hockey bag full of flags, typically a hockey bag, right? And I packed up my Mac 2FX and my 19-inch monitor and my large 8.5, 11-inch um, wa- color wax thermal printer, right? Wow. And we put that on. We put that. In, we went down to Canada, Canadian cargo. And we put it on the plane so we, it would be there. It would land in Barcelona. And Barcelona's airport was still being worked on. This is like 1991, I think, before the 92 Olympics, right? And we get to the we, – we, you know, we had to bring it in early. We got – on the flight, we get to Barcelona. They, you're basically walking onto the tarmac because they didn't have the airport finished. And we got we go to get our bags at the oversized bag area, and they wouldn't let our stuff into the country, right? They wouldn't let our flags in. Yeah, they wouldn't let our flags, in, and they wouldn't let the computer in, right? And so, you know, fortunately, I had taken a, I had backed up all the data onto a I don't know if you remember what SideQuest discs are. So I had this 40 megabyte SideQuest removable hard drive that I had with me, right? And I had that in my suitcase because I didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to leave it in cargo. 
right? And anyway, so they would not let our our computer into the country unless we paid three times its actual retail value to let it into the country. Wow. Right? And, right. and and we're just like, well, no. Mm-hmm. So so we we kind of we we just walked away from without the computer. But it turned out that Apple computer was doing the uh, time clocks for the timing for for the event for that particular Olympics. It wasn't IBM. It was Apple. And there were all this Apple equipment. I got to pick and choose what I wanted to use. The only difference was I had a Spanish keyboard, right? So Carol got a computer, I got a computer, and we went around and we did shots and we scanned them in. We, I think I had to brought a scanner with me as well, right? So that so thankfully Apple computers kind of saved the day, and you know it was back you know back in the system six days, and we were able to pull off this amazing thing. And then we didn't get the didn't get the order anyway. It went to some other local uh, <laughs> local fog manufacturer, but yeah, that was my story about trying to bring equipment into a foreign country. Mm. Yep. Wow. Because because apparently they thought we could build bombs with a Mac Two FX. It's a, it's a supercomputer, right? You know, we, we see that going on in like memory and, and stars yeah. and everything. Like it gets real big real fast. Yeah, another one like that is how many times can you fold a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. And there's no exact answer. There's no exact answer. I mean, I'm sure there isn't, but you have to know the thickness of the paper. But but it turns out that if you took like a regular a regular uh, uh, you know piece of paper, just a standard everyday piece of paper, copy paper, and start folding it and then folding it and folding it in half every single time, by the time you get to some amazingly small number, like less than 50, I think, 50 fold then the total thickness that reaches to the to the moon distance to the moon mm-hmm. as unintuitive as that is it's it's true and that yeah that's the power of exponentials because you multiply the thickness by two every single time wow <laughs> that's like some doctor <laughs> who sort of stuff you know <laughs> yeah so what do you guys the think of the, uh, the female doctor who i think it's cool you hear about this yeah 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 tim you're a fan like a long time fan you're excited worried no i think it's fine i actually like the actress too so i've seen her in a number of uh, shows before mm-hmm. i don't you know what? I, I, it's, it's, gonna, I, was talking, I was talking to Tammy about this before. Like, you know, at the end of the day, Doctor Who, the Doctor is an alien. So who's to say yeah. what form person takes or that entity yeah. takes, right? And, you know, we've had the Master has been a female yeah. for like, I don't know how many uh, seasons, right? Missy, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you saw the last I actually, uh, yeah, episode. Yeah. I actually thought in the finale, I really mm-hmm. thought that. that Spoilers, since, uh, by the way. Yeah. Oh, have you seen? You've seen the um, last episode. No, I've seen the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm not a Doctor Who fan, yeah, okay. so it's, it's not meaningful to me when you yeah when you give the so, spoilers <laughs> so it's fine so when when bill was was dying at the end mm-hmm. right and she dropped a tear onto the doctor's face right, right? oh right i thought what was going to happen was that was going to somehow trigger he was because he was in the middle of regenerating or starting to regenerate right, right, right. i thought he was going to regenerate as her and she was going to be the next doctor oh bill yeah it's really confusing though because the guy who played um the uh, the groundskeeper on harry potter showed up as the original doctor at the end that one right so there were two doctors at the end of it right right yeah we don't know what's up with that yeah so apparently that's for the christmas episode right so Mm. i I think i don't know if it's christmas or maybe he'll regenerate on the first show because usually he he regenerates on the last show and then they do the reveal but they they just just did this announcement in the middle of the day on saturday i think it was right and they did say she was going to be in the christmas show so so oh she is yeah oh okay so that's when that's when uh when it happens yeah 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 it'll be interesting though because you know it's funny like um, Tammy and I are about this all the time because she's she's a huge David Tennant fan, right? Mm. And um, she never she said she never warmed up to Matt Smith, but she did like Peter Capaldi. But she doesn't like Bill, right? Anyway, so I I don't have a problem with any of these people. I think I think Matt Smith was an amazing doctor, and so was David yep. Tennant in his own way. And and I like Bill, and I like Amy Pond, and and uh, uh, Rory, or whatever his name was, right? Yep. Um, and River Song, and all, and Missy, I liked Missy too. And it was a weird bit weird having the two masters in there because. Um, yeah, they kind of broke the rules a little bit there. Yeah, well, John Sim, John Sim, and you know, I like John Sim as an actor, but I, I never really liked his version of the Master, right? So. But coming back to it, you know, um, having a—I a, mean, I've been watching Doctor Who since like the '70s, right? So with, yeah, with uh, Tom Baker and Peter, yeah, yeah. what's his last name? I Peter forget. Davidson. And John and John Davidson. Well, John Davidson, yeah. You know, John Davidson is John David. John Davidson is um, David Tennant's father-in-law. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's fine. Yeah. So sometimes when they're out to lunch, he says there's, there's two doctors at the table, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there was somebody. It was, it was Peter. Somebody between. Um, uh, whistle. The name Whistle comes to mind, but between Tom Baker and John Davidson was, or maybe it's Peter Davidson. Maybe you're right. He was the the uh, the rug, not the rugby uh, cricket guy, right? 
Uh, he's always he's dressed in a cricket outfit with the broccoli right. or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I thought you, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say he's the guy from All Creatures Great and Small, which he is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Doctor Who, doctors, Doctor Who, Doctor. Yeah, it's funny. In this episode, he actually said I'm Doctor Who, which he's never done before. Okay, so it was Miss, uh, no, Missy said that. Right. Oh, John, John John Pertwee. John Pertwee was the name I was thinking about. He was before. Oh, he was Tom before. Baker. Yeah, he was the James Bond Doctor. Yeah, with Fancy Carr, right? And then Tom Baker. Yeah. Yeah, and he and was, then, you know, he was always, he was like, like the, the spy kind of guy who's always, uh, he'd do judo and he was always getting fights yeah, and all that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Then you're right. Peter Davidson and then Colin Baker, which I missed that one completely. And then Sylvester McCoy, I missed him completely. Yeah. And Paul McGann. So... Yeah, we've had uh, 12 Doctors. This is the 13th Doctor. Well, plus a couple of other oh, ones. Wait, John Hurt. Yeah, we can't we can't forget John Hurt. Yeah, because so. mm-hmm. yeah, they don't miss him. He was the war doctor, they called him, right? Right, so they didn't count him conveniently so the math would work out. Really? <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Is that like a, you see, like the George Lazenby of, of Doctor Who's, or what's... Yeah, he's in one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so the, the canon was that the, doc, the Doctor can regenerate, I guess he can regenerate 11 times, because there can be twelve doctors for time. Uh, you know, Time Lord can live twelve lives. Really? But, Where'd you hear that? Oh, that's canon from old old days. Really? Uh, and they had to they had to scramble because they ran out. Right. Um, I think Peter Capaldi would have been the, the last one. Would have been number twelve. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. since they had the War Doctor in there, there was no space left for Peter Capaldi. Oh right, yeah. So they had to. Or no, actually, maybe it was even maybe Matt Smith would have been the last one because remember the. Now I'm geeking out here. The, the Time Lords had to grant him an extension. Do they? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were there was something about that. I saw. I didn't see that when they yeah. were discussing the article on Doctor Who. Like, I just imagine it being like an awkward thing where just somebody just sort of slides into frame slowly, looking at the camera, breaking the fourth wall, something like. And now I give up my twelve lives to you, so now you can have more, and then slowly oh, slides out of frame. Nice. That's how I envisioned it. Hmm. Okay, let's see. I found an article called uh, "Doctor Who Regeneration Count Explained." Oh, really? I don't think I want to read this. Link in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think In fact, we probably shouldn't let anyone in public know how geeky we are about Doctor Who. Why? <laughs> this goes out in the show. I'm going to d- directly say I, I don't watch Doctor Who. I've never yeah. gotten into it. I, I can't really lay judgment on it. I've uh, so is it, is this been more dis- of a Star Trek. You know, that's Star not how Wars you normally say your disclaimer, though. You should say it the way you normally say your disclaimer. <laughs> I should. <laughs> the, don't the, the, the Mark or Jaime. <laughs> that uh, this is for entertainment purposes. We're not only. real. Yeah, exactly. We're not real yeah. uh, Doctor Who fans. We're not real Doctor <laughs> Who nerds. We're just playing them for this you're playing one on a podcast. podcast exactly yeah yeah I, I do think there's some um offense that can be taken reasonably when it's like oh this is like you know this milestone for sci-fi i'm like uh how so but star trek and star wars beat you all there you know more recently and less recently right, <laughs> right? you'd have a a woman as the uh the star of the show oh right yeah been yeah. done before man yeah yeah exactly but yeah i think i think it's good i mean well as they as they hinted in the last episode the future's all women really you didn't catch oh, that line right, right, oh they were right. they were so hinting they were hinting so hard multiple times in that episode yeah, yeah that's kind of why I thought it was Bill. Well, it was interesting that that uh, that. Um, oh, really? Because I, I I thought I, I heard Idris Elba was in the running too, right? So yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a good one. Yeah, yeah. But in the same way that that um, what's his name is uh, James Bond. Um, who's is the current James Bond right now? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Yeah, I remember the first episode he came in. He was like, you know, busting the guy's head over the sink and you know mm-hmm. doing some serious damage to the guy. You know, as opposed to just pointing a gun. Did I mean did Sean Connery's James Bond ever kill anybody? It's a good question. Mm, I'd have to look back. I would have said yes, but now you make me doubt. Yeah. So um, you were just yeah. He ends up bad. shooting some some. Uh, uh, I don't remember which movie this was. But he ends up shooting some assassins like while he's getting ready oh, for a maybe, shower maybe. with the lady in the room or something like that, right? Yeah. Sean but I bet the, I bet the yeah, body so. count went up with Roger Moore because he was he was when they brought yeah. up, started bringing in all the gadgets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, Sean Connery had the gadgets. He had the you know the car with the he had the exploding pens and he had the the car with the ejector seat and right? but i think he i think mark's talking about like the focus though just like there was the focus with who 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 was the the drug dealer bond i mean like he would fight drug dealers rather than you know i'm gonna take this mountain and explode the world sort of stuff probably roger moore i would think yeah roger or, moore? Or, uh, or the guy after him it was dalton after pierce, pierce brodson no before him timothy dalton yeah i think it yeah, was timothy dalton, timothy dalton. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i don't know where's your 
shown how much we don't know about James Bond. <laughs> right, right. And Doctor Who. We're, we're much I think less. A, uh, Doctor. Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> but I think it's a fair comparison, right? Because it was a uh, it was a big deal to to. Um, have a woman play Doctor Who because it's been a bunch of dudes up till now, right? Yeah, they've yeah. They, they've done something big there. I think there's a lot of folks who've been looking for um, uh, Idris Elba and and, right, yeah. and campaigning for him to be Bond, which, mm-hmm. I mean, seems like a cool dude, but I'm like, how many movies can you get out of the guy? Um, <laughs> you know, Daniel Craig is a considerably younger man, and the whole premise of like oh, the for last James two Bond, movies was like, he's, he, yeah, he's too old to be James Bond now, right? Like, that was the premise of, of Skyfall. Idris Elba's younger than than uh, Tim, than uh, uh, Daniel Craig. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Like Daniel Craig is like in way younger condition. Daniel Craig age. Idris Elba, he's in good shape. He's in pretty good shape, but uh, he was oh, man, he's, okay, so five, five, five years difference. Okay, mm-hmm. five years younger. I guess he looks more. Yeah, Idris Elba is five years younger because he is forty-four, yeah, and okay. Daniel Craig. Is Everybody 49. looks old to Jaime. He's so young, right? I guess because he looks more distinguished. Idris Elba is forty-four. I guess he looks more distinguished because he's got more of the gray kind of going on than, um, yeah. than Daniel Craig does. I just, I just think of him from The Wire, mm-hmm. and mm. so it's hard, to, hard for me to picture him as anything else. Even though I've seen him in other stuff, he's just he'll always be the guy from The Wire. It's funny for me. He was he's so good he's Luther. He's Luther. I always see him as Luther. But you're right. <laughs> I never. I, I only saw, I've, I've only seen the first season of The Wire. Oh, you should watch the whole thing. Yeah, I should. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll add that to the reading the book on algorithms and uh, yeah, yeah. all that other stuff I have to do before I die. Well, you can write an algorithm to calculate how long it'll take you to watch all the episodes of The Wire. <laughs> the Wire. Yeah. <laughs> it's all on Netflix right now, which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they've actually got Jodie Whittaker's page on the uh, Wikipedia page already. Doctor Who. Interesting. I don't recognize her. You said you recognize her. Who? What has she done before? Okay, so have you ever seen the movie Formula 51? Mm, no, I don't think I have. Have you ever seen the movie? Have you ever seen the TV show called Broadchurch? Okay, I have not seen it. She plays the mother of the boy that's, that's killed in the beginning of that story. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, and David Tennant plays the cop, which is kind of cool. So it's funny, because they, they did Broadchurch is the British version of it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, David Tennant is the main cop in that one main main investigator and then they did an american version of it called clear point or something like that right and the and david Tennant plays the de- detective there so in the british version he has a scottish accent in the american version he has i don't know i want to call it american accent i'm putting air quotes around that because i couldn't tell you what version of american accent he's got but it's really weird to see him you know david Tennant play an american so actually it's kind of funny speaking of idris elba since the first thing i saw him in was in, was the wire mm-hmm. where he spoke with a flawless American accent. Right. It, it was a shock to find out that he's actually British and speaks right. with a British accent in real life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I saw him as Luther when I first started watching. I just, it was on mm. one of our odd channels and I started watching that from the beginning. They've done four seasons of that show. It's a pretty good show as well. It's mm. <laughs> coming out in the Dark Tower. Maybe that'll change my mind. Maybe I'll be like, oh man, he's totally still physical enough to do a James Bond. <laughs> well, he was in that uh, Pacific something movie. Pacific right. Rim. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was a robot, giant robots, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a beast of no nation. He was the commander in that Netflix original movie. Was he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he's uh, some sort of African um, warlord. I can't remember which, oh, right. okay. which country they were in.